ora and welcome to episode 67 of the Stag Roar. This time we're super lucky to interview Belinda Fitke. Now Belinda has made it her mission to question the dietary guidelines and that's with inverted commas and she's highlighted how they are shaped by vested interests and ideologies, in particular the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Belinda started on this journey when her husband Gary was being investigated in a closed forum uh, by APRA for recommending that his patients stop sugar in order to try and lose weight and get healthy for surgery. Um, Gary's an orthopedic surgeon and if you haven't already gone back and listened to episode 63 there's more to sort of the background motivation behind Belinda's journey and, and expeditions into the into the realms of vested interests and what it's dug up in terms of ideology. But this podcast is a standalone podcast and that's why it was great to interview the two of them separately. Um, I got on to Gary through Belinda and, and I'm forever grateful and it was you know poignant that we get her on board because she is um, definitely the brains behind the story of, of why someone in orthopedics in Tasmania was being investigated by one of the biggest names in uh, nutrition science, um, funnily enough, related to sanitarium. So this is a big one. There's a lot to consider here. There's a lot you probably didn't realize about it. Um, we talk about sanitarium in particular, you know, these uh, pillars of health in Australia and New Zealand and why that came to be. So yeah, sit back and enjoy. This is awesome. Belinda's an amazing woman and I'm so stoked to bring her to the Stag Raw. Kia ora, everybody. I have the absolute pleasure to speak to the better half of the Vickies, Belinda. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. We'll wait till Gary. Yeah, thank you very much for setting us up with Gary. It was a fantastic talk. And when I got in contact with you, I said I need to talk to you as well because, like you. like you said just before, you deal with the vested interest and what's behind this belief in things. Um, and Gary, being a surgeon, delves deep into the science and send us down the other rabbit hole um, before we get into everything because there's a lot to unpack um, what did you do on the weekend on your beautiful place in Tasmania um, on our beautiful place in Tasmania we've just got a new puppy so we've been very involved in trying to do a bit of puppy training um, the puppies enjoyed meeting the chickens and the sheep and the cat the cat's not too impressed but no. um, yeah just pottering around it's just it's really beautiful here we're we grow our own vegetables and we've got our own eggs and it's just this lovely place. It's it's a feels like a mile away from anywhere else, you know, world away from the chaotic uh, cities that we grew up in and we really love being here in Tassie. Absolutely. I don't know if it's coming from the bottom of the world in Invercargill or where it's the fact that Hobart, Hobart's its sister city, but having visited Hobart and flying over um, Tasmania, it's just an incredible place and I don't know, I guess it's that... Um, small part of, of the bottom of the world thing that probably means that we uh, have a similar thinking. Um, what is it about living in such a remote, but we'll say everything's the area like Wollstone? Well, I think the, the beautiful thing about it and the reason that we chose to come here, because originally we're from Sydney and then moved to Melbourne for Gary to get on the orthopedic training program, part of the rotation was to come to Launceston for a year. And we really fell in love with the place, having that opportunity to be here. It's only 10 minutes from where we live to the school, so Gary, and also to his work. So he was able to factor in times to 
see the kids at a cross-country event or see them at a, a school swimming carnival and different things, you can't get that opportunity in a big city. You, you're so caught up in traffic and you just cannot plan such um, precise timing. So here Gary was able to drop the kids off to school and, and just be more involved. He coached William's soccer. Um, so as much as anything, it was for him to be able to have more of a family life being here. But for me... Um, and for our family, it's being able to access fresh seasonal local foods. We've got beautiful grass-fed um, cattle, beef, and uh, the chickens, just free-range. I mean, it's such a different life to the small um, apartment living we had, but hopefully eventually one day it would have been a house. But, you know, it's, it's so different not being in a city. The noises, that what our kids grew up with. We've got an echidna in our, in our driveway. We've got kangaroos, like unbelievable I never thought that would happen like we have a mob of kangaroos in our driveway so they just grew up seeing so much nature hearing birds hearing all these things lots of bees and just understanding um, how important I guess everything is in in the life cycle and that's been the concern with some of the research that I'm doing is they're wanting to get rid of um, ruminants and wanting to get rid of, and we we sit here looking out on it all and just going this is a beautiful environment and everything works together and how important is it? So I guess it's been part of our passion is saying, wow, we need to keep this going and we need to talk about how important fresh seasonal local produce is if you have the opportunity to, to get it. Um, and in Tasmania, we do. So what Gary's been advocating, I, I just could not understand why he would be in trouble for what talking about low carbohydrate and healthy fat principles, um, it made no sense. And certainly at the beginning, he was only talking about reducing sugar. So I guess seeing him go blue in the face, seeing him sort of become part of that low carb down under group, which is getting very strong, more and more talks. I think they had um, nearly 750 people turn up to a big conference in Denver. And, you know, it's, it's growing this movement and people are wanting to know about it. And I was thinking, why are they all talking about the science, showing um, so many amazing stories and getting hammered by dietitians, by guidelines um, and all the people who protect the guidelines all the way through to the um, medical board of Tasmania actually investigating Gary for talking about reducing sugar and processed food and just go, what the hell? So I deep dived into cyberspace and went, well, I'm going to work this out. And, and I, it's been an amazing five years of um, history lesson, I guess. Yeah, and on that, um, Gary was saying that you've been quoted as the sort of external um, research the knowledge. The person. Yeah, go to person, <laughs> knowledge base for, um, for Adventist Health. <laughs> How's the irony of that? <laughs> yeah, but, and, and I think it's important to understand, um, I never expected to find the things that I did. I mean, who would? So... Uh, I'm not anti-vegan. I'm not anti-religion. I'm not. Uh, it's not a an angry place that I've come from. I mean, it was trying to clear Gary's name. I was angry at APRA, angry at the medical board for being so stupid to become a vehicle for vexatious notifications and to to subject him to a star chamber investigation for two and a half years. Gary, uh, I'm not sure if the people who uh, know your followers might understand and and if they've seen Gary's talk, but he's an orthopedic surgeon in the bottom of the world, talking to patients who were presenting with weight-related joint issues, with inflammation and complications of diabetes, type 1 and type 2, and they couldn't heal, they couldn't get better. And he, when he started to work out the role that certainly sugar and processed carbohydrates were playing, 
in this um, in metabolic health and how he could improve their outcomes, um, he couldn't not talk about it. And moving forward, the fact that he was reported by a dietitian at his hospital that he was working at to the medical board of Tasmania and when Gary got the notification that he'd been reported, he thought, oh, I'll just throw this out. Surely it's a joke. And it, and it wasn't thrown out. So we believe this vexatious notification that came through, then APRA just became a vehicle and subjected him, to, as I say, to a two-and-a-half-year star chamber investigation, in the end cautioning him against ever speaking about nutrition to his patients, including reducing sugar. He wasn't allowed to talk about low-carbohydrate, healthy-fat principles, even if they became accepted best practice as dictated in this um, determination by them, and it was lifelong and non-appellable. So we had nowhere to go. So the only place we could go was to the public and put out this story and just say, this is ridiculous. We need public support to question all of this. And thank you to everybody who has supported us because it's meant that um, APRA has been really looked at and they didn't like that one bit and, and questioned how could a doctor be silenced from talking about nutrition. So the National Health Ombudsman, as Gary probably explained to you, spent two years looking at this case because she couldn't overturn the, the ruling, but she could have a look and, and decide if the process was flawed. And so in, in finding that that process was flawed, then we were able to go on. He, it was sent to an external review and thrown out within six weeks. Um, so everything's been overturned. He's allowed to talk about nutrition to his patients. He's allowed to explain the health benefits of low-carbohydrate and healthy fats. When, so when Gary was reported and, and, as I say, talking about all these things, I kept saying, why can't he talk about it? So I, I started looking at different things in the nutrition science, and I'll say science in inverted commas, and trying to understand where it's, where it's all come from, I guess. And so, again, my disclaimer before of saying I'm not anti-vegan or anti-religion, I'm pro-choice. And this, what I've uncovered is this push towards a, a vegan plant-based dietary guidelines and that it's been shaped by vested interests and very strongly by ideology. And as you said before, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which I never expected. And it was only because the expert witness in Gary's case, um, when I started really investigating, I thought he must work for the sugar industry. And that could be the only explanation why someone's hammering um, an orthopedic surgeon for talking about what he was talking about. Um, the expert witness is the emeritus professor of nutrition in Southeast Asia Pacific region. We're talking um, a guy who was the head of the International Union of Nutrition Science, IUNS, which is the biggest body in the world. He's president of that. He's been involved in nutrition conversations and, and guidelines with the World Health Organization like all the way through. Why was he called in? to Gary's case. Gary's an orthopedic surgeon to a 120,000 catchment area in Launceston. Um, had about 5,000 people following him on Facebook at the time he was reported. And he went, something doesn't make sense here. And then I found out he worked for Sanitarium. And as you would know, Sanitarium is the most trusted health food company in Australia and New Zealand. And I hadn't clicked with the fact that it's wholly owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And as such, they pay no tax. But they have this belief in um, the Garden of Eden diet. 
And so sanitarium health and wellbeing has come from a, a place of trying to get rid of meat. Um, you know, their, their anti-meat message is, goes all the way back. Everyone seems to get stuck on um, Ansel Keys and the um, 1977 McGovern report when they talk about nutrition and, you know, everything got turned upside down then when McGovern agreed to promote low fat and who was involved in that and as it's come out in the last few years, the sugar industry were definitely involved. But it, this history goes all the way back to the 1800s. Hmm. And, and like Gary said, and, um, it's, it's the origin of... of back to the inverted commas, the nutrition science itself. Exactly. And they, the um, Seventh-day Adventist researchers put out an article last August. It was all my research. I was so angry they put out before me. I'm not angry <laughs> that, you know, Oh, damn, this, this is what I've been looking at. Um, so I'd definitely been writing a lot about bits and pieces in the meantime, but they put it out perfectly and even wrote in this article that um, nutrition science started with the advent of the Seventh-day Adventist Church because they have such a strong belief in medical evangelism and this health reform message that was given to the prophetess of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, who was also a co-founder of the church. She was told by God in a vision that, um, you know, meat caused masturbation and meat was a stimulant as bad, if not worse, than alcohol um, tobacco, spices, tea and coffee, um, but this this anti-stimulant belief, and, and it's important to understand this is where Western vegetarianism has come from, and I say vegetarianism because the term vegan wasn't coined until 1944, but Western vegetarianism is, has come from a very different place to Eastern vegetarianism. Western vegetarianism has come from truly two religious um, groups. It was the Bible Christians, early 1800s, and then the 1860s or 1840s when the Seventh-day Adventists started to break off and, and form into a bit of a group and became a church entity in 1863. They truly came into this as, as a health reform um, about salvation. Mm. And Eastern vegetarianism is quite different. It it respects the role of animals in the environment, in the in the food cycle. While some Eastern vegetarian vegetarians don't eat meat specifically, they still have um, dairy. They still use ghee. They still they understand that it's important to have the animals with them as part of growing crops and doing other things as well. And that there's so much health involved in um, in ruminants just. Um, the cow patties that've got billions of microorganisms. You know, it's feeding the soil, it's feeding, feeding the, um, the the eco cycle. Western vegetarianism is very, very different. Hmm. Um, you mentioned the name sanitarium, and, and growing up in New Zealand, you, you, you go to Christchurch or you go to Auckland, and you go past these massive factories, and um, we had the same slogan in, in New Zealand that Kiwi kids are weak books kids, just like Aussie kids oh, are weak books yeah. kids, and you know, you get up in the morning and smash back eight of them or a big bowl of cornflakes. How many can you eat? Exactly. Yeah, yeah how many can you eat? Yeah, cornflakes which need sugar on them and, and there's a story behind why cornflakes probably need some sugar on them or cream on them or yogurt on them. <laughs> um, what, why was, you know, this guy that works for Sanitarium, this bastion of, of, of wellness in Australasia, why did that sort of trigger something to you? Or, you know, grow, growing up, in, in Southland, there's, you know, it's a, um, 
Presbyterian and Catholic sort of stronghold with the Irish and, and Scottish heritage. But there was this one school that was Seventh-day Adventist. It was like, oh, what the hell is that? Oh, never mind. And then you hear on the news, sanitarium's not paying tax because they're Seventh-day Adventists. And you can kind of look at a small fraction of the community and then this massive industry that's the bastion of wellness. Why, why did that sort of trigger something to you? Why did it trigger something? It, t- it took a while. And I even said to Gary, oh, my gosh, I keep going down this religion you know, I, I do not know why um, some of the things that I'm looking at take me down to religion or to people who are involved in the Seventh-day Adventist church. <clears throat> and again, th- they formed in 1863 and that's when Ellen G. White had this vision, one of 2,000 visions from God and dreams that she had and how important it was to differentiate themselves from every other church. It appears that this health reform message sits at the heart of the church um, medical evangelism is the right arm of the church and they use this health reform message as the entering wedge. They believe that they are just like Jesus Christ and healers and the way he got people to believe in God and the message, the, the spiritual side, was to heal them. He used the healing. He used um, <clears throat> not so much nutrition necessarily because he certainly ate lamb and all sorts of other things, but they believe that um People lived a 1,000 years in the Garden of Eden and it wasn't till the fall when um, the floods came that they had to eat some meat and life shortened up and that they're working us back towards the Garden of Eden diet for mm. salvation. And it's, it's a really, really important message to them and, and from what I've been reading, um, they, they're one of the uh, minority churches who believe that Jesus will come back, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Um, This is where they base their, their, um, that's where they base their belief and they started from was a Millerite movement back in the 1800s. And so to them, they need to have people follow the seventh day Sabbath, which is the Saturday belief. They need to have people not eating meat. They need to Ellen G. White actually said there will come a time when um, meat, eggs, cheese and milk, butter will be discarded because we will be able to feed people without them. Mm. So, again, another really important part of the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs is creating the food industry that supports um, their belief system so that they can talk to people about um, taking meat out of their diet and, and eggs and cheese and milk. And if they didn't have the foods, they couldn't. So, yeah, as you alluded to before, John Harvey Kellogg was was probably the biggest health or most famous health reformer that people would recognise the name. He invented cornflakes, but he invented wheat flakes and then cornflakes to stop people masturbating, to stop... Uh, he was a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, from the age of 12, he was typesetting Ellen G. White's um, very first book, uh, Solemn Appeal to Mothers, to appeal to mothers to stop their children masturbating, to not put meat in front of their children on, on a plate. And, and the things that she wrote about, it was a sermon in this book, the things that she wrote that eating meat and, and leading to masturbation, the things that masturbation would do to a child and to a, a, a young adolescent and even um, further on, but certainly she was targeting it as a solemn appeal to mothers, um, was that not only would they have, you know, a whole raft of um, injuries, including the eyesight, which we've all heard, you know, masturbating makes you go blind, but it was inwardly decaying head, it was all these terrible things, and you could not go to heaven. 
So we have a 12-year-old boy who is immersed in the health reform message of the Seventh-day Adventist church, believing firstly that meat caused masturbation and how sinful it was, and then meat caused cancer. By 1864, 1865, she had a vision telling her meat caused cancer. I think it was just different ways of how she could keep perpetuating this message to stop people eating meat and go back to the Garden of Eden diet, which is fruits, grains, nuts, seeds, and of course become soy, legumes and soy, because that's what they've been able to create to provide protein for people who don't eat meat and eggs. Um, so really, the Seventh-day Adventist church started the cold cereal, not the oats, but the cold packet cereal um, with, with the cornflakes empire. And um, interestingly, John Harvey Kellogg was making all these foods, um, nut meat analogues, went on to do the soy milks and soy protein analogues and things at Battle Creek Sanitarium, which was, again, owned by the Seventh-day Adventist church when he was working there as a doctor and the superintendent of the hospital and getting people to understand how important this vegan diet was. Ellen G. White had a vision from God that, or, sorry, a vision from an angel as a representative of God that she needed to set up a printing press in Australia. So when she came as, a, as an elderly woman in 1890, 1889, um, 1890, she actually came to Australia with um, Merritt Kellogg, which was John Harvey Kellogg's um, older stepbrother, who had originally worked at Battle Creek Sanitarium as well as a doctor. Um, she brought him to Australia to set up the Sydney Adventist Hospital to help set up Science Publishing House, um, Avondale College, some schools, church, obviously, planting, they call it planting churches, and also brought uh, Edward Halsey, who had worked as a baker for John Harvey Kellogg. And her idea, because Kellogg's was owned by Seventh-day Adventists, not by the church, um, her idea was to set the entire thing up as church-owned in Australia and New Zealand. And she lived here for 11 years. In fact, her son got married in Tasmania. They lived here in Tasmania for a while and her son got married here. So when you start to put some of these things into perspective, you go, wow, this, this history isn't that far away when you consider that it actually really did happen and all these events in and around. So she set up sanitarium as owned by the church this time. And it's, I think it's phenomenal when I um, started talking about this publicly, when well, Gary was the first one who talked about some of my research that I'd uncovered. But Sanitarium provides resources for doctors um, here in Australia and New Zealand. Doc, a GP can just print a button or push a button and print out the resource for diabetes, for heart disease, for um, everything you can imagine, weight loss and things. And it's all um, actually branded sanitarium. Of course, they advertise or recommend that people have cereal. I think, don't doctors even consider that this is a, a processed food company? They call themselves Health and Wellbeing, but a processed food company that has provided resources telling people they need to eat grains and whatever else for diabetes. And I think that's what started to shock me. The more I got into understanding how involved sanitarium was not only in um, providing health food 420 different health food products um, 419 of them vegan and the only one that isn't is up and go which is a chemical shitstorm as far as i'm concerned <laughs> um, you know they've they've created this health food industry 
that we've been brainwashed in Australia and New Zealand to believe it's health food. And, and they're involved with the Heart Foundation. They're involved with um, the Cancer Council, no doubt with Diabetes uh, Australia. Sanitarium has become entrenched in, in guidelines that, you know, they're involved with the label reading. They're involved with um, the stars, the health star rating. They're involved in all of these things, but they're involved in providing resources for dietitians, for doctors, no doubt other health professionals, but I've been able to locate these ones. This is huge. And if they're shaping guidelines, so they're not just the ideology, but they are the vested interest. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist church has been involved and people with them have been involved in creating the commercial soy industry. Um, it was a Seventh-day Adventist missionary who went to China and he set up 19 hospitals at every one of those hospitals in China. He organised that a soy plant was developed. So, again, they could feed people in the hospitals and, and they trained nurses, they trained doctors and he was the one who invented um, soy infant formula. And he took 10 years to um, convince the American Medical Association that infant soy formula was safe and, and was allowed to be part of this whole package. And it was because they needed an infant formula to provide to Seventh-day Adventists when they couldn't give their children cow's milk and goat's milk. So... Around 1977, around the 1970s, everything all started to come into place. The McGovern Report, but I would say the hippie movement, we're looking for the health food, alternative food, let's not harm animals. And, and somehow the food industry, the bigger food industry, we're talking Coca-Cola, um, Nestle, all sorts of others, managed to use the health message from the Adventists to create this need for low fat and you know because they were providing the research because they wanted it to be true i've even got references where they've said that um research is to prove divine inspiration not disprove it <laughs> so they've set out to and and again it comes from purpose you know they truly believe that this is the way forward and it, it's 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 so different to a financial conflict of interest, um, an ideological one. They don't have to, someone who has an ideological belief doesn't have to acknowledge that as part of their um, disclosure and conflict of interest in any research that's been done up till now, and I'm hoping it will change in the future because it, it has such a huge potential bias and even more so than a vested interest that can be bought off to different companies and move around. This is something that's a belief from in here. And the, the influence is massive. Um, so you were talking before, um, sorry, I jump around a lot. I've got so much in my great. head. <laughs> but as you said, Australia isn't a very religious um, a country, I would think. We started out as a convict um, penal colony and so I think when LNG White came in the 1890s, um, setting up their, they set up camp tent churches. They were itinerant preachers. They moved to into streets. They actually went to the people rather than set up a monolith church and have people come into them. 
and and they set it up as a as a healing center. They set it up as a health message. You know, a church where they could minister to uh, a church where they could minister to people. And I've even come across a statement recently saying that Ellen G. White wrote um, that there, there will come a time when the only mission work we will need to do is medical missionary. They won't even need to take a church message to the people. They will be healing them by telling them about health and and invite people into this space, a safe space, they're healing them, and then they will talk about the church. And that's fascinating. It's so different to any other church, as you would know, any other religion. And their actual, um, they've got the Sydney Adventist Hospital here and a couple of smaller hospitals. They've only got one university, you know, Avondale College. They've got they've got so many schools, a, a huge amount of schools. But compared to America, we're a really small footprint. But we are um, Australia and New Zealand, but especially Australia, is a massive hub of um, because the sanitarium would be their most successful food industry, I think, in the world. Um, and sanitarium has taken on a lot of the other industries and supporting the other industries around the world. But they also support um, this program called the CHIP program, which is the um, Complete Health Improvement Program. And this Complete Health Improvement Program, which they've written and, and they provide not only to CHIP in church, CHIP in community, CHIP in corporate, and CHIP in the hospitals and CHIP everywhere, um, every church in the world is meant to be an evangelist for health hmm. and the ministers need to learn this chip program it's getting um, really pushed into the south pacific uh, he here in our region <clears throat> and so when the ministers learn this complete health improvement program which is the vegan garden of eden diet but it's also exercise and sunlight and lots of other things that are really really important for health and well-being but there's no meat and there's no dairy and there's no eggs and we're creating a, a group of like our generation and the ones coming after us are metabolically compromised and this huge push to a vegan diet while in some places you might be able to have the perfect vegan diet most people will be eating masses of processed carbs mm. and sanitary provide masses of processed carbs um, so this chip program then they teach their congregation i don't think they call them a congregation but let's say for everyone to understand and me to understand, they teach their congregation this health message and the congregation is then meant to go into the community and teach cooking classes, talk about health, talk about, you know, open up vegetarian restaurants, open up cafes, have conversations with people about health and well-being before they introduce anything about the church. Then this CHIP program goes into corporations. Sanitarium also owns a, a sidearm under their framework called Vitality Works, which is massive in New Zealand and, and not as big, I don't think, but growing in Australia, really big in New Zealand. And Vitality Works, wholly owned by Sanitarium, again, they pay no tax to run workplace health and well-being for people and, and, and it's pushing the vegan message. And so everyone's going plant-based, plant-based, but it's, it's from their ideology that meat is really bad and we need to get rid of it. Um, they also own uh, another side business called Provax. So they're running vaccination services to um, workplaces and hospitals and schools and all these things. 
But again, taking in that message then that you need to think about diet, you need to think about a plant-based diet. And is anyone questioning why? And so that's, that's where I've been crazy. I've just gone, why, why? And, yeah. and discovered this um, has all come from meat causes masturbation, meat causes cancer. They want to get rid of animal proteins and animal fats. And it just ties in really nicely with the processed food industry, unfortunately, <clears throat> to create everything made instead of being able to um, enjoy and hope I, I'm anti the factory farming and I, I think that's a terrible thing and, and growing grains to feed animals um, that they shouldn't be eating. They should be eating grass and they should be out in the farm. And so I know it's a, it, we need to change our eating habits but we need to support local communities to get back to that nature, eating, eating for health and not junk food and just because it's all in the supermarkets and sanitariums pushing it. Mm -hmm. so, <clears throat> you, you, said, you said something there about, um, you know, they came to Australia and went out into the community with this salvation message. And I find it interesting that you also mentioned that most of Australia began from a colony um, of, of conviction. So it was a, it was a perfect storm, really. Uh, people probably who weren't feeling too great about themselves and the things they'd done with the opportunity to um, be saved and, and granted salvation. And all they needed to do was improve their health through a, through a plant-based diet. It was, it was perfect. And it's probably no surprise that... Um, they managed to establish such a stronghold with limited resources. I, I still don't think it's a really, really big religion in Australia, but they encourage anyone who's part of that religion that the health message that being a saviour like Jesus will, will allow them to go back to the Garden of Eden um, in heaven. Um, so they're really encouraged to be health professionals or mm. to be involved in education. and. So while I would think it was, it's a minority religion, most of those people in that minority religion are all involved in educating people, whether that's um, as a doctor or a teacher or a dietitian or a health professional in some way, to this health reform message. Um, not everyone, obviously, but a hell of a lot of them. And I said, we've got one main hospital in Australia, which is in Sydney, the Sydney Adventist Hospital, in Florida, there's 26 hospitals owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church just in Florida. So in America, it's massive. In the South Pacific region where they're taking this CHIP program, um, there even um, one of the doctors who is a devout Seventh-day Adventist, he's taken it to the, um, the medical association in Fiji and convinced the Fijian uh, Ministry of Health that every single doctor needs to be taught the CHIP program and then taken it into the community. So we're, we're talking really, really um, huge infiltration into third world countries, um, into Uganda, into Jamaica, and as I said, South Pacific region. So far, they've also created um, a group or started a movement called Lifestyle Medicine. Mm. And I've copped a bit of flack from the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. They've declared and put in a newsletter that they're very upset, I think. And I, and I never called it a cult. I'm trying to explain the history of this religious movement and why this belief is so. Um, I've discovered that the American 
College of Lifestyle Medicine, the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine, which is also New Zealand, and the, the conference this year will be in New Zealand, so just letting you know. Um, mm. And the Asian Society of Lifestyle Medicine, they are the pillars of the church. And just in the last couple of weeks, I've started to realise that the European Society of Lifestyle Medicine was also one of the founders of this global alliance of lifestyle medicine. And these four areas have been massive. What they're encouraging other places to do, and I think Britain and the UK is a little bit like Australia, it's, they're breaking away a lot from religious ties and they don't really want to be as connected to religion as America. Like America is quite devout in a lot of ways over a range, broad range of religions. The UK is a bit like us. We're going, you know, it's not a big part of our culture. And so they really hit back at my conversation that this lifestyle medicine movement is, is grounded in the church. And they said that we've got no religious ties, you know, we're a religious, whatever else. And, but they don't understand that when they have their conferences, even if nobody, which I don't believe, but if nobody is involved, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church within that society as it stands at this moment, when people come, when doctors and dietitians and healthcare professionals come to their conference and they sign up to be part of the Global Alliance of Lifestyle Medicine, they are signing up to the church. When they do their board certification, they're doing a board certification that's been written by devout Adventists and it will teach them the plant-based dietary guidelines, the Garden of Eden diet, because it's church and they will try and convert these people at least to talking about the health message that's the churches. It will keep going further and further. When they become, uh, so it's the board certification, there's um, a whole range of things and then you can become a diplomat of, of the lifestyle medicine. But again, when I've gone through the diplomat level, it's all written by Seventh-day Adventist Church or Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. This exercise as medicine is, is pushed by Coca-Cola. So I, I've got a lot of information. It's a lot of things for people to be hearing and going, well, what the hell? Um, a lot of it's on my website so people can go through and take their time to digest what I'm talking about. But as I say, the British side of lifestyle medicine were really um, on the back foot about what I'm talking about. And even the Australasian side of lifestyle medicine have written a couple of things and and said, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I thought, well, I hate to tell you, but you actually don't know what you're talking about. You haven't looked at the history. You haven't understood where this association lies and you haven't understood how involved the church is. Um, Darren Morton is involved with Avondale College here in uh, Australia and he is the MC of all the lifestyle medicine um, conferences that happen in Australia. And, and he's, again, you have to admire the the dedication the purpose you have to admire his um thing he's he's reinvigorated this complete health improvement program he's been the main director of it and when you look at all the all the parts of it there is so much good and there is so much advice about preventative health care you know if it wasn't for the fact it was a vegan promoting religious ideology I'd be part of I'd be one of the first people in lifestyle medicine and I'd be out there advocating I'd be their front person you know what they're talking about is really really important but the basis of their nutrition that this plant-based diet is a religious ideology that's anti-meat 
because originally it was anti-masturbation. It's a stimulant. And to me, that's really concerning how many people are, are getting um, sucked into, not sucked in, that's a nice word, <laughs> getting, using their health messages and entering wedge into the church. And then they're evangelizing for the church without even realizing it. And that's what, that's what I'm trying to let people know. There was a conference the weekend before last in Melbourne and it was Doctors for Nutrition and it was supported and promoted by the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. And, and the head of the president, Sam Manger, said, we've got nothing to do with religion. And I think, well, then why were you promoting doctors in, for nutrition as an actual um, entity in a conference that you were encouraging people to go? 250 doctors went to this Doctors for Nutrition conference. And the organiser for it is a guy called Scott Stoll. And he's not only a devout Adventist, but in a bio I found that he'd written at one stage, he said one of his proudest moments was that he's been involved in converting six of his patients to be baptised and one office staff. Hmm. And that was in his bio that I found to Seventh-day Adventism. So you can't tell me this Doctors for Nutrition that he was one of the keynote speakers and has come from his plantrition project in America is not teaching doctors a health message to be converted to, uh, to, to the church. And, you know, Sam Manger might have no idea, but this is where my research has taken me over the last five years. I just understand the workings of this, of the church and how important it is for them to get this message across until they get enough people believing in the Seventh-day Sabbath, which means they have to convert people from that health message to become Seventh-day Adventists because most churches think Sunday is the day of worship. To them, this, they're called the remnant church and they believe in this Saturday Sabbath. And if people, if they don't have enough people believing in the, in the Saturday Sabbath worship and they don't have enough people eating the Garden of Eden diet, Jesus is not coming back. And, they, and this big push at the moment is the belief that if they're still alive, when he comes back, they, just, they get to go with him. They don't have to wait to be lifted up out of the grave. You know, and, and it's a real desire by these people. They believe the second coming is quite imminent because they probably see all the sickness around and think their message is so important. Um, it's, they're on a real mission to convert people and lifestyle medicine is the perfect vehicle for it and, and CHIP, the Complete Health Improvement Program. These two programs, because they're getting them in, into hospitals, they're getting them into medical education, um, lifestyle medicine at the moment are trying to push to get RACGP is already accrediting their conferences, but they want every doctor to be taught how to do lifestyle medicine. They want every doctor to be taught how to do CHIP. They, oh, my gosh, why isn't anyone thinking? Or are Seventh-day Adventists at the very top of these organisations that are making the decisions? Mm. That's something to think about. Absolutely. On, on the contrary, when, you, you know, we said about how um, Seventh-day Adventists are a small arm and places like mm. the UK, New Zealand and Australia are really developing a, a pushback to any ties to religion. Um, yeah. what, what do you say to people, apart from the obvious, and that, that this was born out of clearing Gary's name, but what do you say exactly. to people? Yeah, well, why, why do you bother? Well, you know, they, they haven't made a, a major influence when it comes to religion, but 
by the same token, it's, it's making a massive difference in terms of the way people be- use that word, believe about their nutrition and, and then mm. the messages that are being shared, which the um, processed food industry, which as we've, well, you've found out is um, a lot of it's linked to seven day Adventists anyway, you know, mm. what, what do you tell people, oh, why bother, Belinda, why, why bother continuing to look at this stuff? Why bother to continue speaking about this stuff? Well, I guess as I started to realise with Gary and why he was being silenced was because um, guidelines have been shaped by vested interests and ideology, a massive influence of ideology. And these guidelines have become strict rule books mm. and, and they're fiercely protected by associations, dietitians' association, um, the Heart Foundation, Diabetes Associations, Cancer Councils, and all of those things, they're fiercely protected by associations that partner not only with the food industry but with the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, you start to then overlap and, and, and I could tell you a lot of things about the pharmaceutical industry too, but if I just pull back to why Gary was silenced and, I, and I'm, I'm not discrediting the pharmaceutical industry's influence because if people aren't sick and they don't have no, they don't need to have medication anymore because type 2 diabetes don't need to be on metformin and insulin if they reduce their carbohydrates, certainly early on. Um, the food industry is very involved. I came across some documents last year that um, showed, as I, I'm not very good technically. As you know, I had to go onto Gary's computer because I couldn't look at how to get onto mine on a <laughs> Zoom meeting. So I was Googling, and there was a dietitian in Australia who, really drives me crazy with how much he bags out um, low carbohydrate and promotes you know, cereal as the bill and all and now is working for sanitarium can I just add mm-hmm. um, but he um, was really annoying me last year in June and so I googled his name with some of my favorite taglines and up popped um, confidential it had confidential written across it minutes from a a cereal industry meeting it's called the australian breakfast cereal manufacturing forum and they were the ceos of freedom foods um, sanitarium kellogg's and nestle and in some of the documents we got later it was also the world cereal partnership or something or other but we're talking the four biggest cereal industries and they this these minutes were discussing that um, cereal sales were going down. They talked about the anti-sugar messaging that was happening and they talked about um, low-carbohydrate people. Um, they mentioned Pete Evans, the chef Pete Evans. They mentioned Marianne de Marcy. They mentioned um, a few other people as well. I think it was nine people. But they had Gary's name on there, mm. on these documents. And so they were saying in, in the documents they were... At, it was the Australian Breakfast Cereal Manufacturers Forum were um, organising a partnership with the Dietitians Association of Australia. And for $23,000 a year, Gary and I could have paid them and saved a hell of a lot of money with everything else if we'd known, but for $23,000, the Dietitians Association were happy to be um, used by the Australian Breakfast Cereal Manufacturers Forum to influence, protect, uh, sorry, Influence, promote, and protect cereal and sugar's messaging. Sugar as well. They had documents where they were talking about, um, you know, playing down the harms of sugar. And they wanted the DAA to um, in, use their members to promote 
all of this and to target low carb, to ridicule low carb, to do all these other things. And Gary was the only medical doctor in these documents targeted for active defence. Mm. And at that same time, that's when we found letters from the CEO of the Dietitians Association of Australia at the time writing to Gary's hospital. So I would say if I start connecting dots, the cereal industry are using the Dietitians Association of Australia not just to shape their education but to pay them, the Dietitians Association, to use their members as foot soldiers in promoting cereal and grains and saying sugar isn't that bad and really bagging out low carb. You asked me before why I think it's important to keep going with this is because if we don't raise the awareness of what's happening with ideology and food industry and and showing how much of an impact that can have on silencing doctors from questioning. I mean, Gary says, you know, science evolves by challenging things and by learning new things. Like, we don't believe the earth's still flat anymore. I mean, we, there's so much that keeps going on. Doctors used to promote cigarettes to people, you know, back in the 1940s and 50s. It was a calming thing. They thought it was a great thing for people. Since worked out, the harms of um, tobacco and um, on healing times, Gary especially was one of the first people to advocate that his patients gave up smoking for six weeks prior to having um, elective surgeries mm. because he understood that it um, compromised their vascular um, healing when they smoked. You know, there was this six-week turnaround time. It wasn't so much about the lung cancer or anything else. For Gary, with orthopaedics, this was a real complication of people. And he's allowed to talk about people giving up cigarettes and he doesn't have a respiratory qualification. He's allowed to tell people to exercise more and he's not an exercise physiologist. Why can't he tell people to reduce sugar and process carbohydrates? And this big push by the cereal industry, by sanitarium, but by the vested interests that are involved and, and it's based on ideology, you go, I need to talk about this. I need doctors to challenge and question where their education is coming from. Because if we don't start to make a song and dance about it, and we hadn't, Gary would still be silenced and no one would be allowed to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, we've got this huge uh, social justice heart and we've seen how much it helps people. It helps their health. As I don't know if Gary spoke too much about it, but I mean, he was diagnosed with cancer in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And in 2004, he had his first <coughs> surgery. He was on chemotherapy for 11 and a half years. And by and so that overlapped part. But by 2009, he was told the chemo was not holding his cancer anymore. And we were trying to work out how to keep him alive. Mm. And over the time from 2000 to 2009, he'd added on so much medication to either band-aid the side effects of the chemotherapy they was having. Um, he was getting uh, blood pressure issues, heart issues. He was um, pre-diabetic. He was getting really, really sick on top of having to have chemo all the time. And he just went, well, I've got to, I've got to look at Google doctor. I've got to try and work out you know, that nothing else can be done under the guidelines of band-aiding my sick care anymore. So what can I look at? And he came across some of these studies about how sugar could feed cancer. Mm. And then he thought about the fact that his PET scan, which is a scan that you have to um, find out 
the activity of cancer. They give you a, a glucose injection and the cells that uptake the glucose light up on a PET scan. Well, Gary's lit up like a Christmas tree. Never thought nine years before, oh my gosh, maybe sugar wasn't a great thing and maybe the eight to 11 litres of fruit juice that he's encouraged to have because you end up with diabetes insipidus was probably really not a good thing and was probably feeding this cancer. So when he saw the health benefits in himself, firstly of reducing sugar and then understanding that starchy carbohydrates are just simple sugar, they turn into glucose um, when you ingest them, that reducing those things out of his diet firstly started to improve his health massively and after two and a half years he thought I'm at the best health I can be now and under supervision he came off his chemotherapy and he's been off for five years and his cancer hasn't gone but it's in complete remission purely through diet management now Mm. and I'm not saying the radiotherapy the stereotactic radiotherapy the surgery and all those things were really necessary at at the beginning and maybe even the chemotherapy at the beginning for the cancer that he's got, but it wasn't holding it. Mm. And when you see this response just to diet, you think maybe he wouldn't have even had the cancer in the first place if he hadn't had such a high carb. Again, you look at our 1992 food pyramid, there was an explosion of grains and cereals at the bottom. We were encouraged to eat six to 11 serves per day of carbohydrates in that 1992 food guideline. And one serve of carbohydrate at that time was two slices of bread. Imagine eating 22 slices of bread and and what that does to your blood glucose. You think back, you know, you're still allowed to have cans of Coke in our dietary guidelines back in 92. This is the guidelines Gary went into medicine with. This is the guidelines that he probably didn't even bother really thinking a lot about changes as they happened because that's what he was indoctrinated to believe. Hmm. And when he saw the health benefits in himself and then he took that into his practice, to people with diabetes who are just so sick. Um, And you've got to understand when you have ulcerations in your feet, it's because of poor blood, um, you know, it's, I'm explaining very well. It's because they haven't got enough um, blood circulation to their feet. It's, It's the complications of diabetes. It's not an infection per se that you can give an antibiotic and treat. So these people need to reduce that blood glucose. That's the only way they can start to heal. And, and you can't heal really advanced um, ulcerations, but you can stop them progressing and maybe heal them enough so people can get back to what they were doing. You know, it, it's, it's giving people their lives back. It's how can someone not be allowed to do this? And if this vegan plant-based diet becomes that one size fits all for everyone, which is what the Seventh-day Adventist Church want it to be because of salvation and what the food industry want it to be because of profit and what the pharmaceutical industry want it to be because of profit. You've got these, these entities dictating this guideline and if it becomes the guideline that we all have to follow, it is restrictive and there is no choice and there will be no choice for people with severe metabolic um, disease and, and for people with cancer, because Gary's needed meat and, and healthy fats to heal. Um, the low-fat era, this whole big push in anti-saturated fat, I believe, has come from religious ideology that um, the food industry have wanted to tag onto. 
if we don't have healthy fats in our diet, we can't absorb vitamin A, D, E, and K. They need their fat-soluble vitamins. Mm. So you know, we're, we're going down a pathway of fortification to be healthy, of supplements to be healthy, and, and you don't absorb them in the same way as you do proper food. So I'm going to keep talking about this until I can make sure I have an impact on the guidelines. And unfortunately, Ryan, I don't think we can turn back the tide of where this is heading. But if we can put a dent in it and allow and make sure those guidelines acknowledge that low-carb, healthy-fat principles are not dangerous and they can be an option, that's, that's all we can hope for, is that people have the opportunity to still support people to make that choice. And, and that's, that's my goal. And, and I don't think it's fair if, if it's not that way because I've seen why the plant-based diet's being pushed. Absolutely. And um, going back to Gary's um, tumor there, I think, I think it's Tom Seyfried points too. Maybe Tom Seyfried was one yeah. of the people that Gary contacted early on, yes. Yeah, I think he's, he's pushing that. Perhaps we should, whilst we can still monitor a brain tumor because we don't operate or, or go into those therapies straight away, we should be doing metabolic health, making the borders of that tumor more defined, smaller, as small as it can be, and then how we might have some more success down the line should we need to do the other things. And he's also... Absolutely. I've, yeah. He's yeah. also... I've, I've, he did a really good podcast with Peter Atier. Now, um, Peter didn't necessarily agree with everything that he said, but um, in terms of disrupting it through surgery at an early stage increases the chance of metastases and then the, the chemotherapy and radiotherapy may, and, and this is from my uneducated third-hand <laughs> listening, but... Yeah. But may may disrupt that tumor and cause it to spread as well. So exactly, yeah, it's it's a nuanced approach, and and I'm, and I'm sure, and that's what was quite good about him and, and Peter talking is they went back and forth, back and forth, trying to get into a deeper deeper level. But from from yeah. the outset, like you and, said, and as an adjunct, as yeah. an adjunct therapy, how important is nutrition? And at the moment, people with cancer and people with diabetes. Um, are encouraged to just eat whatever they want. Like this whole point of metformin and, and insulin for people with type 2 diabetes, the fear is that people will take insulin and their blood glucose will go too low. So they'd rather keep people's blood glucose up nice and high and have the insulin. But you can actually have your blood glucose normal and not need any, especially at the beginning stages of type 2 diabetes. Like people do not need medication. They just need to cut their carbs. The issue will be we've become a society that's very, very addicted to the carbohydrates, to the sugars. We're, we're flooded with it. We're in an obesogenic environment. It, we're just surrounded by advertising and, and food. You go into supermarkets, brightly coloured packaging, like it's, it's talking to you and calling you. And, and it's cheap and, and all, all these other points. There'll be a lot of people who cannot give up sugar. They cannot give up those carbohydrates. But for people who are truly invested and want to do that, the people who want to be supported, and I think that's what we're both agreeing, um, and, and anyone in the medical field who's looking at a whole range of different preventative measures for people, it's being allowed to support those people to try those options. And if you have a doctor who's silenced from talking about reducing sugar and processed carbohydrates, and it becomes really big in Australia and people hear that Gary's silence from talking about it, they'll go, well, I can't talk about it or is it dangerous? And, you know, 
far out. This has just been promoted by, it's been stopped by the food industry and by ideology. It's not about science. It's not about health. And, and I think that's a real concern. And it's about getting out that message that you know, this is an adjunct. And for some people, it will be really successful. For others, it will be helpful. And for some, it won't help at all. And whether that's because they can't achieve it, and it's not about making people feel guilty that they can't do that. It's just about supporting them in their health and to the extent that they can support themselves and not just band-aiding sick care, which is what the health, the health system has just become an industry. Hmm. And um, it's the biggest employer. The Tasmanian Health Service is the biggest employer in Tasmania. And if that's the biggest employer, then what the hell is that saying about all these strategies and all the research that's poured into these associations that are supposedly trying to cure everything. Well, let's stop trying to cure everything. Let's just try and prevent it and let's just try and slow it down. Let's just try and help people understand that it's not about never having a chocolate again, but it's about making a lifestyle choice not to have it all the time, not to be forever, um, making your insulin spike and, and just wearing out your pancreas. It's about taking back control of your health. Absolutely. And whilst we're on the, the, the positive message, you said you came across the, the um, serial um, forum document, which was, you know, and I heard Gary and Pete talking about it on the podcast. <laughs> they, they did. Um, and out of that, all of a sudden, the Dietary Association of Australia is no longer taking money from cereal. And like, you know, that's why They're no longer, yeah, they, they have... Um, broken their their association and they're the first association in the world to come out and do that and i think it's quite remarkable i've been chipping away and challenging them a lot um not just the fact that they're being paid by the australian breakfast cereal manufacturing forum to do their bidding but i also um, which again the dietitians have taken down the references to their vegan and vegetarian position papers but I've saved them all as PDFs and I've been collecting information for five years. So there's not a lot I don't know before I've started talking about things and they've tried to hide it and backtrack and do different things. But I've got the, the um, evidence. And the Dietitians Association, their vegetarian position paper, vegetarian and vegan position paper, the four references that they acknowledged, two of them were not only um, devout Adventists, but actually on their health ministries. That's two of their references. The third reference was a Medical Journal of Australia supplement. I think it was 20-odd pages of supplement. And it was funded by Sanitarium and the Adventist Health Ministries, written by people who were either Seventh-day Adventists or working at institutions owned by the church. And the, the fourth reference was from Kellogg's, which has begun as a Seventh-day Adventist practice. And I wonder if it still is, and remembering that, these huge companies, if they're still owned by Seventh-day Adventist people with the church, they pay tithe. They pay 10% all their income to the church. So we're talking some serious numbers. I, I didn't mention before, the Seventh-day Adventist church, we, we talked about it not having a very, it doesn't seem very big in Australia and New Zealand, but it's the second biggest educator of children worldwide. Mm. Um, you know, they want to get children in, they, they believe in, in um, what do they call it, children evangelistic ministries or something. By giving their health message to children from as young as they possibly can and, and then getting parents, even 
kids who um, are from families that aren't Seventh-day Adventists, they encourage them to go to the school too. But then they bring them along to these cooking classes and these health lectures and these this and these that, and then suddenly they start to listen. <laughs> they are educating people without us even realising. It's a like sanitary health and well-being. I mean, it's a processed food company. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, and they've made us believe that it's this health place. So I think having conversations and understanding, I think your podcast, the other people that I'm speaking to, um, my website, which, by the way, must have annoyed APRA because I started it saying I support Gary. That's, that's my website. Yeah. And I'm talking about a lot of these things. But he's been exonerated now. He's had all, not even the charges dropped because they were falsified and vexatious charges to begin with. So all the made-up charges that existed have all been um, totally thrown out. And and he received an apology, a written apology, which is unheard of from APRA to actually acknowledge that. But it didn't come from Tasmania. It didn't come from the medical board here. It had to come from a, a separate one. We've got a situation in Tasmania that I believe that is still really challenged by what Gary's talking about. And I think we need to keep talking about this. We need to keep raising this awareness that that low-carbohydrate, healthy-fat principles can be a safe option in the management, um, in prevention and management of people with metabolic diseases. And certainly as an adjunct in cancer therapy because why the hell would you feed someone who's got cancer just junk food anyway? I mean, it's not going to help their health. It's about making people healthy. And as Gary says, in the hospital at the moment, for his patients when he was at the Launceston General Hospital, for his patients with diabetes complications, out-of-control blood glucose, they were being offered three desserts per day. And the breakfast was just carb mania, like the lunches. The, I think the dinner option was low carb because it's probably more meat and vegetable. But, you know, we're starting people off all day just having these blood glucose spikes and not healing. And Gary's having to amputate bits of toes, four feet, heels, and sometimes lower legs from people he believed could have their outcomes improved dramatically. And you know we've got a tsunami of type 2 diabetes um, coming at us and our healthcare systems aren't going to be able to cope with it. Uh, we won't have the funding, we won't have the medical facilities and we certainly won't have the resources to support these people. So talking about other options for people who can choose to do it, I, I can't see why we can't go forward. And now that we, under, as Gary and I say, now we understand where the rule books are coming from, that they're made up rule books and they've been shaped by this vested interest and ideology. We're just going, well, you either have to have to laugh at it or, or challenge it in every way you possibly can because it, it's not fair to people. It's not fair going forward. Low-carbohydrate, healthy-fat principles can support people. It's easiest as an omnivore, as we believe we're meant to be, um, eating animal proteins and fats, but also having dairy if you can tolerate it. It's also about eating some of the fruits and grains and whatever else and vegetables that you can tolerate. But it can support people who are vegan and vegetarian. If you're really, if you're really supported and you supplement, low-carb, healthy-fat principles, it's a principle thing. 
and and certainly even help support people who um, have chosen carnivore diets because of irritable bowel issues or severe mental health issues. They're finding that cutting out all these plants and the phytotoxins and all sorts of other things, their their health is so much better getting rid of those. A plant-based vegan diet, the Garden of Eden diet, which the UN even referencing in their sustainable development goals going forward, and they want the world to be the Garden of Eden diet by 2050. To me, that's a religious term and, and there's no choice. And will it really be all of the people or will it, as I wrote in my um, Eat Lancet um, article recently, uh, are the, the rich choosing and the top of the food industry people choosing to eat meat and whatever else and telling the poor, telling the masses to eat cake? Mm-hmm. And our eat cake is vegan food. And what, how they've done it really cleverly is instead of telling people this is what you have to eat, they're making us have a moral choice. You know, you're harming the environment. You're harming animals. You're doing this. You're doing that. It's like um, the vegan activists who are opening gates and letting animals, farm animals that have been used to a domesticated life just free is harming animals, getting rid of all the ruminants on this earth that Patrick O'Brown, who started Impossible Foods and has spoken to the UN and part of this UN Sustainable Goals going to the Garden of Eden diet, he's actually spoken to the UN saying he wants every farm animal to be off this earth, not out in the wild, not back into nature, off this earth in his lifetime. And he founded Impossible Foods. Of course he's invested in wanting to do that because how much money is this alternative protein, fake meat, alternative meat industry, how much is that going to be worth? You think what the low-fat era did and suddenly the food industry could make everything low-fat and add sugars and do whatever else they did, made a hell of a lot of money. This alternate protein, alternative meat industry, um, Kellogg's have diversified into it, Nestle have gone into it, like all the cereal industries, but Sanitarium started it. They're already making that fake meat, alternative protein, back in the 1800s. John Harvey Kellogg started nut meat analogs back in the 1870, uh, 1880s, 1870s, 1880s. They were already invested in this technology. We've just, we're opening up a, a food industry and then putting this moral obligation onto people that they, we're being told, this is the choice you have to make so you don't harm the environment and don't harm the planet and whatever else. Well, I can assure you, the people who are making these decisions, not the Seventh-day Adventists, per se as individuals who I believe are truly vested in, in this purpose of salvation and, and they're not making money from it. But the corporate arm of the church and, and the vested interests beyond them um, with all this fake meat, they have got the opportunity to make so much money out of us making the moral choice to eat less meat. And I believe that the environment's going to be harmed from it and our health. Mm-hmm. It was no surprise that, you know, billionaires like, um, oh, I've gone blank, uh, Bill Gates. Um, in Richard Branson. Richard oh, my Branson. gosh, he's so invested in it. Yeah. They're <laughs> well, and yet, well, while they're into no worries it. flying all around the world, um, giving all their help messages. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we've, we've gone on why the message for vegan ideology is so clear. 
Um, and he's mentioned there, you know, a carnival lifestyle. On, on Sean Baker and, and Zach Fitter's podcast, you mentioned how, despite the, and I saw this article, despite the fact that Gary Fitke is the guy that identified um, Sean Connolly. Yeah, is that right? Sean Connolly? Uh, no, no, no. Um, Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly. There we go. Goodness me. <laughs> Another Scott. Sean Connery. I wish he'd met him. Yeah. <laughs> I Billy wish he'd Con- Sean Connery, but mind you, yeah. Billy. Billy uh, Connolly's Parkinson. Billy Connolly is a gorgeous, gorgeous man. I mean, it's been someone we've admired for a very long time. Yeah, despite the fact that this article says, you know, Gary Fitke, orthopedic surgeon from Tasmania, suggested that, Billy, you might have Parkinson's and a low-carbohydrate diet may help to prolong your life, reduce your symptoms. This article is in the, in the paper. No mention whatsoever that this Gary Fitke is the gentleman who went through the ringer from Africa is still under pressure in Tasmania and has been pardoned and been received a letter from APRA. Um, you spoke on, on Zach and, and, and um, Sean's podcast that there's no media about this. You know, there's none. It's just and amazing. We've been contacted locally. Um, a couple of the local papers just put out a little thing to say that he'd been um, exonerated because they'd covered the fact that he was in trouble and but they're just little local papers. They're, we've been contacted by quite a few people, Channel 7, um, ABC, different um, journalists over time who have individually appeared really interested in the story, followed up, interviewed Gary just over the phone and different things to work towards maybe doing it as a program, especially finding out the, the involvement of the cereal industry and the ABCMF. Um, the ties to the Dietitians Association. <clears throat> and it's fascinating that every time they, when they've gone to a certain stage, they've talked to their producer or it's obviously gone to station managers and or gone to that higher level, it, they've, they've pulled the plug every single time. And I would think that's very much to do with um, the sponsorship of, of our media. I mean, that's tied to the food industry. You think how much food's advertised on on television, on radio, um, through newspapers, through print media. It's it's really fascinating how people get to a certain stage and then pull back. So I don't know if I mentioned it with Sean, but this is why Gary and I have, why I took over. I was very involved in social media as a photographer before all this. And, and I'd used um, social media platforms since 2009. So... I said to Gary, the best way to take your message forward, that's why I got him onto Facebook in the first place. I said, you know, you're having trouble talking about it at the hospital. Like the hospital, he was trying to raise issues about quality assurance, patient safety, like really simple things. He wanted to have a meeting with the Dietitians Association at the hospital. He wanted to talk to different people involved in different aspects of his patient's care and and just really have a down-to-earth conversation about, oh, my gosh, as we say, his most naive moment was when he worked out the role of sugar and processed carbohydrates, not talking about animal fats or proteins or anything else, just purely sugar and processed carbs and what it was doing to blood glucose and how it could be affecting health. He said, wait till I tell everyone, they obviously don't know and had no idea that this message has been talked about since John Yadkin was talking about sugar back in the 60s and 70s. This message has been shut down because it, it compromises this push to the plant-based and processed food industry. So when 
when we looked at all of this, oh, sorry, where was I going? <laughs> okay, sidetracked. The me where the, where the um, media attention is not. <laughs> yeah, so the media attention, that's right. Yeah, so it was about, um, so I got going onto Facebook to start talking to a broader, a broader group of people and that's probably why he, then they decided they had to move him and silence him because they can bag out a chef like Pete Evans or bag out other people who aren't health professionals but once a doctor who's at the front line is starting to talk about the harms of sugar and food, that message really needed to be shut down because that was going to compromise, you know, they couldn't argue with the doctor and the science behind it. And so when he was under investigation and he was told by APRA he wasn't allowed to be on social media anymore, um, I, we sat up all night working out what we'd do and how, because we just didn't want to be signed. We thought that was the worst thing that could happen, that Gary would be crushed if he got signed, you know, if we couldn't keep going with social media. So we crossed out Gary Fecky, no fructose, and made it Belinda Fecky, no fructose, and had a million views on Facebook, over a million views of this announcement that Gary was being investigated for talking about something so ridiculous as nutrition for his patients. And so the media avenue we've been able to use is social media. I mean, that's where we've been able to get our message out, where we've been able to keep talking about these things because the other medias are compromised. And I've had journalists contact me I've had different people contact through even the I Support Gary website, which is just crazy. But they can't do anything. Their hands are tied. Um, Michael West is one of the few independent journalists who's been able to say some things, but, you know, he's, he's taking risks and he's had to leave his job in a, in a big conglomerate to, to be able to start to talk about some of these issues. And, again, that's how they keep our message quiet to to the broad masses because they've still got print media, they've still got um, television media, they've still got social media channels. And and as I spoke to Sean, some of the people around low carb, com, you know, having this low carb conversation, their um, their numbers are going down because I think the algorithms are changing on social media to promote plant-based, to promote vegan diets and, and everything else, I even came across an article that said that The Guardian, which is, is it UK-based, I think? But The Guardian has a foundation attached to itself, theguardian.org. And this guardian.org was given $886,000 recently to promote vegan articles and um, the terrible things happening with factory farming. And so the organisation's gotten this money and the organisation is owned by the people who own The Guardian and then they transfer that money over. It doesn't look like The Guardian's being paid to do those articles, but it is through its organisation. So, again, we've got, you know, major print online media groups who are being paid to make eating, eating animal protein and fats look really bad mm. and... and highlighting those articles and sensationalizing them. So so how do we capture that market? Again, I say I'm not sure that we can beat the money and the and the um, expanse and and the message that they can create goes so far. But enough of us starting to talk, enough of us challenging 
doctors about think about what you're really doing here. Think about how low, lowering carbohydrate and certainly sugars can improve health outcomes. Think about the fact that we actually need cholesterol in our body. Our bodies make cholesterol. What the hell are we trying to, you know, cut cholesterol and what the cholesterol lowering wheat bits? I don't know if you've got that mm-hmm. in New Zealand, but in Australia, is cholesterol lowering wheat bits? It's twice as expensive as normal wheat bits. And what do we want to lower our cholesterol for? It's causing so many health problems. Deleting this cholesterol, it's not about eating fatty, fried junk food, but eating healthy, saturated fat gives healthy cholesterol, and we need that in our bodies to survive. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, I, I'm, I want to get it into the guidelines that it's a safe option for people to be supported if they choose to be. And if we can get that into the guidelines, then I think I'll just pack up and go, okay, that's, that's as much as I can do, and maybe write a book into the history of the evolution of the plant-based dietary guidelines. I think that's, in all of this, I've just found it a really fascinating history and a history I don't think has been told. Um, and I would just love to, to pen it because I, I'm, yeah, I've really enjoyed understanding. And now that I understand the rule books and why they've been developed and where they've come from, so it's like, okay, I know how to play the game now. I know, I know where it's coming from. And so it's not as scary a place as it was when we just couldn't work out why Gary was in trouble. Absolutely. And um, you're, you're the, uh, the expert on it, according to Timothy Aventus. So where, where do people um, go to those media outlets of yours? Um, well, I've got Belinda Fecchino Fructose as a Facebook page. Um, I... It used to be very scientific when Gary had it, and um, I apologise to some of the people because I think they dropped off because it wasn't so sciencey anymore. But the ones I've got now are really fascinated by my research into vested interests and ideology and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, I still try and put up articles that I find online that talk about health and, and discuss the science, even though I might not be able to disseminate it um, intricately. They're really, really interesting articles still talking about the science and the research behind low carbohydrate health effect principles there's also all the fake news articles that i try to highlight and go don't listen to this it's just fake and give a good explanation zoe harkham is amazing at disseminating the fake news and and helping people understand what we really need for health um so i share her articles at times and so it's a it's a very broad um facebook page and on the i support gary so it's www.isupportgary.com Dot com, my website that I started in 2016 that explains um, Gary's story, health story, explains what happened to him um, for raising issues of quality assurance and patient safety in his hospital and recommending that people reduce sugar and how you can really have your entire um, 25 years of medical practice threatened by a, a group that does not want that message to go out. Um, and I also talk about my research on that page and, and challenge the, the doctrines. I, I'm quite a prolific writer, so um, be warned that my <laughs> articles are often quite long. Um, but they have a, a lot of uh, referencing um, to things that I'm finding. And at the moment, I'm in the process of writing an, an article specifically on lifestyle medicine. And, again, it's not to attack lifestyle medicine it's not to um really it's not it's not to um call out the people but if we don't understand the rules if we don't understand where this messaging is coming from if we don't understand that lifestyle medicine has 
uh, foundation in the Seventh-day Adventist church and was actually started, you're the first person to hear this, it was started on the campus of Loma Linda University in America, um, then, then we can't go forward in explaining that they talk about the plant-based diet because it's ideology and their research. And just one last thing as well, this whole point about red meat causing cancer and especially processed meat causing cancer, not only do the Seventh-day Adventists believe that, that meat's a terrible stimulant and, and causes all this harm, but they believe that pork is unclean. It's, it's, it's along the same lines of the Jewish um, belief system. So there's unclean meats as well. And if you think back, most processed meat, most, not all, but most, is pork. And so has all this research been done to, to say that processed meat is so dangerous when you think the Germans have been processing meat for centuries, maybe not to the chemical disgustingness of some of the American ones now, but we've got a lot of butchers locally who use grass-fed meats and they, and they create hams and they create things and they've not got the nitrates and nitrate, nitrites and nitrates and all these bad things that are supposedly bad in processed food, processed meats. And you think, has this just been driven again by we're not allowed to eat unclean meat? Mm. So I'm just like, <laughs> wow. So I'm, I take nutrition science and nutrition advice with a um, grain of salt mm. these days and, and try to look where, who's done the research in Australia and probably New Zealand as well. We, um, people who are doing research don't have to acknowledge their, not even their financial disclosures it's only if you're on an advisory board in Australia. In America, they have the Sunshine Act now. They can still get around it by people and philanthropy and food industry paying to a foundation or paying to the university. But if people actually get honorariums or travel expenses or funded, like Stephen Blair from the um, Exercises Medicine Coca-Cola Initiative, um, he's personally received $5 million. So once once you get to in america you have to disclose those financial ties unfortunately you have to disclose ideological ties at least in america some people like to say that they're seventh day adventists where in australia they don't um but the only way i could find a lot of the people had financial disclosures was when they did research with people in america because under the sunshine act they had to acknowledge it so again it's taken a lot of time to find out and, and research into the depth that I've gone. And Gary and I didn't even speak about anything for two and a half years because we couldn't believe what we were uncovering and it wasn't until we had enough information that we felt that we could publicly start to talk about it. So um, I've referenced this very, very well and it's not just um, being said as a vindictive or vexatious um, commentary. It's It's truly... Um, talking about the evolution of plant-based dietary guidelines from a historical aspect and the influences that have shaped it. And I think, I think people are interested and, and I hope they understand that I'm not in an angry place or a nasty place and trying to do it. I just, I'm very scared that if this plant-based guidelines become the rule books, that no doctors can talk outside those rule books, um, that people's health are going to be very, very compromised. And as I say, Gary would not be here if he'd had to eat a plant-based diet. That's right. Well, thank you very much, Belinda. I, I look forward to hopefully you 
getting the time to pen that book because I'd, I'd love to read it. And, and I've been a big follower of um, new articles on Icefort Gary as well. And I'll be sure to link all those, all your um, contact details um, for the public forums there in the show notes. Um, before we go, what would you like to leave people with to sum up um, your thinking? Well, I think I was summing it up. I guess my, my um, thing to leave people with is, is just don't believe everything you hear. Um, mm. Question why. Question why is someone saying this is dangerous or don't eat this or don't eat that or do this or do that. Even with what we're talking about, it's about just challenging and, and hearing and understanding. And I think what I love about Gary's work is he puts a lot of hit the science into really um, uh, digestible, shall we say, <laughs> um, conversation. And so people can understand, as he said, it's basic biochemistry. It's physiology and pathophysiology right back from first year medicine that he'd been brainwashed to forget about because the next four years or five years of medicine are spent band-aiding sick care. But if you go back to those initial um, understanding of simple biology, biochemistry, physiology, you just go, this just makes sense. And when you talk about it in that way, I think it's about empowering people to have conversations with their doctors. The hardest thing is a lot of doctors are challenged and threatened by the conversation. You know, it's it's really hard for them to go, but I've learnt this way and this is what I've taught. Imagine thinking that you've created harm mm. in a profession you've gone into to improve people's health. And to me, it's not an individual doctor's issue, it's the system that they're stuck in and, and their education that's dictated and, and say brainwashed people to believe that all you can do is Band-Aid sick care. Um, lifestyle medicine has a lot of really, really great ideas. And, and if we could replicate lifestyle medicine and just make it plant, um, instead of being a plant-based diet, if we could make it low-carbohydrate, healthy fat principles as to how that sits with culture, with ideology and with health, then that would be my perfect solution going forward. Brilliant, um, and I think there's a thing called integrative medicine that might be doing that. <laughs> so that's the, I think there is, but a lot of people in the integrative medicine also have a plant-based ideology. So you, again, it's it's working out where it's come from. That's right. Thank you very much, Belinda. I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. It's been a privilege. Oh, thank you. you. Thanks and, for having um, me. And hopefully, a few more people can be enlightened by where the information is coming from. Cheers. Yeah, great. Few strong ideas there left by Belinda and throughout the podcast, especially in terms of not believing everything you hear. We've heard that quite a few times throughout the series of podcasts. We're up to six, episode 67, of course. And I also think a lot of what Belinda was saying follows on from what we were talking about last week with Matt Gibson in terms of you've got to have a little bit of empathy and understanding about where. The story is coming from where somebody's position is coming from what's the information that they've heard up until now and what are they basing their belief and their thinking around um, and by further understanding the rules like she says and understanding where the information comes from you're able to more clearly get a understanding of actually the, the possible truth and then of course by testing it yourself and, and 
working through your own hypothesis, it's being your own scientist, you can come out with what matters and what really makes a difference for you. Um, I think a lot of people get caught up in that ideology and uh, get caught up in the guilt that's associated with this meat eating and then now that it's trying to delve into environmental issues, um, you know, there's a lot of guilt around eating meat and, you know, when you actually look at where has that information come from and what really is the scientific evidence behind that and what are the influences at play, which is what Belinda's all about. You really get an understanding that hey, this story is not fully complete. Um, be sure to check out all of Belinda's links. They'll be in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to tag myself and Belinda in whatever social media platform you're on. It's really awesome to see people resonating with a topic. And of course, you know Belinda does all this work on her own um, in her own time, and so I'm sure she'd love to hear that what she's sharing is resonating with more people um, it's always good to hear from the people that it makes a difference to um, of course also in the show notes you can find the show sponsor that's waikito w-a-i-k-e-t-0.p-a-u-v-i-t-n-o-w.com to get your hands on exogenous ketones if you're in australia u.s canada or east asia otherwise if you're a kiwi like myself and you live in new zealand then you'll need to contact myself either on the Waikito Facebook page, W-A-I-K-E-T-O, where all the other podcasts are located, as well as a few pictures from my Instagram at Stagvision, which is also where you can get in touch with me for exogenous ketones. Um, and a link to the show notes is in the bio, uh, to, sorry, to the podcast is in the bio there. Um, also, I've got a few articles in my blog, stagryan.com. Be sure to have a peep there. Um, one of them is on fasting and another one is on low-carbohydrate diets. Also my Pichacucha that I did last year is up there. Um, and then also a few other personal things. Um, yeah, Be sure to check out the blog, stagrind.com. We'd love to have you there as well. Have a good week. We'll bring you another episode next week. We've done a good job of, of stacking up some awesome content to come more around this topic um, and some fantastic people with great stories around that so yeah hope you're enjoying this be sure to let me know as i said if you've got any arguments if you've got any considerations contact me through one of the platforms Cheers.